Welcome to Serial Hooked House of the Dragon, where your hookers Chris and Richard. And today, hope is the fool's ally. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and at seriallyhooked.com where you can get all our latest info. And also be sure to, to subscribe so you're just updated with all of the new episodes. This week, we'll have a new episode coming out discussing Andor <clears throat> on Sunday. And a new D&D episode coming the middle of next week. It's been an intense two past months. But now we'll probably be back on two episodes per week. And with that, the greens are coming for you. Do you have initial thoughts about this uh, episode, Chris? Because I can't wrap my head around this fully. I have some like drafts of thoughts, but I'd like to hear what you had to say because... Um, I'm a little confused or conflicted here. I'm not sure I like this episode. I, But what I can say for sure is that it didn't excite me. I, I, I like the... I really liked it on a, an idea level to split the last two episodes between locations. And, you know, th- I think that that was a great idea. And they executed it pretty well, but... This episode just didn't do it for me. I realized also that I don't know if it's the writing or the acting, but Rhaenyra just doesn't, I don't know, just doesn't do it for me. The Like this one, the adult one, I don't think she has like that much like uh, that much gravitas or anything. I, I'm... I don't know. I think I don't know. I don't take her that seriously, unfortunately. I think that's that's part of the problem. Um and I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm not There were some nice things in here, but I for the first time had trouble choosing four scenes to talk about, not because I had t- so many to talk about that excited me, but because I thought, oh, this was, yeah, this was okay, this was okay. Uh, but there weren't really many that stood out to me. It's actually interesting because I have a, almost the exact opposite opinion where I really am captivated by Emma Darcy and I find her performance very amazing. And I actually, I felt very similar to this episode that I did of the past couple episodes in particular, where I liked a lot of the things that happened and was just dumbfounded by the thing at the end so it's really interesting how (laughs) it's it's very confusing in that way to me i think maybe why this is just me speaking on your behalf so correct me if i'm wrong but one of the reasons you could maybe be sour on emma darcy as compared to olivia cook is that she's working up with against matt smith and matt smith's performance Mm. is i think the highlight of the entire show to this point and he's Mm -hmm. He's like, he's cooking in a kitchen that no one else is even like, <laughs> they can't even touch any, a knife. They're, they're, he's yeah. like really killing it here. And I think that relative to his performance, she is, you know, not as, not as strong, maybe you could say that. And especially with the charisma that Matt uh, Smith gives to the Damon performance. But I think on the other hand, I do find her very captivating as a character and I find her performance very strong. I have questions about this episode. 
Um, it was very, very hard to watch the uh, the birthing scene. I yeah. mean, it, it's just this through line of the season that we're going to have to live through. Uh, I hope this is not a theme that continues beyond this season. <laughs> I can't imagine that it does uh, after the backlash that they've gotten. But I think the episode, I actually liked quite a few of the scenes here. So, um, and or not liked, I think, uh, yes, I liked a lot of the scenes here. I really like them splitting the last two episodes because it's basically one finale split up into two halves. And when you see them back to back, it's really interesting like that. Um, We'll talk about the end sequence at some point in my list for sure. Uh, But that raised a bunch of questions for me and kind of is emblematic of one of the things that I'm not liking about the show as a whole. But Mm -hmm. with all of that said, I think... Now this is the third week in the row where I kind of like the episode, but I'm kind of like angry about certain things that are happening and the direction <laughs> the show is taking. So I think, you know, when I reflect lar- at larger about the, the season as a whole, I will get to this to the end. It's this episode is indicative of the further. Oh, I don't want to use the word erosion, but that's hard. The that's, I guess that's the word that's coming to my mind, the erosion of the trust that I have with this show and my relationship with the show. And I'm afraid now, not afraid, but I am precariously optimistic about what's going to happen in the future, as opposed to just the normal level of optimism that I have going into stuff. Yeah, I, I can I can definitely relate to that. And I was just thinking maybe part of my quote-unquote problem with Rhaenyra is that on on the personal i think the the personal stuff that that's when she shines but when it comes to the big politics that's where she's lacking in in you know in comparison to other actor uh, actors not 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 from a acting perspective but in terms of political actors um but maybe that is part of the performance because she is a reluctant political actor at this point so maybe that is part of the performance and it's great just wanted to throw that out there because yeah i think emma darcy is still great but yeah i don't know something about it is just like uh, i don't know but yeah i think also doing it opposite matt smith is definitely quite a task i think actually i read it that she is very adept at her role in as being queen here and i actually think that her inaction in this episode which is very contrary to how it's portrayed in the books i find it very intriguing and a measure of strength you know how they say you know when you're giving speeches or whatever to embrace the pauses so when there's something if you you know you can't think of something uh just like pause and everything is like be right it's all in your head kind of thing so i like the pause she's taking here and i actually found it very indicative of strong leadership and i'm just also conveying what Rhaenys was saying as well. So Rhaenys yeah. points this out as Rhaenyra being the only one not uh, leading the, you know, the the Seven Kingdoms into war, I guess. But so I I took a different route. I think that inaction in certain cases um doesn't mean potentially reluctance. It means waiting and looking for the right opportunity to do the right thing. Um and it, I mean conceivably the end of this episode will indicate that that reluctance will be out the window <laughs> moving forward, but I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, I guess uh, about what's going to happen 
But I, I actually find her, if I consider Alicent as a leader and Rhaenyra as a leader, or even oh, if yeah. you, it's just like it's not even close. And no. anyone on that side of the camp is just either the outright devil to me, like uh, Otto Hightower, <laughs> or just an idiot uh, and or an idiot rapist like Aegon, or mm. just you know. Alicent, and I don't have a particular adjective to describe her right now, but we all know, I guess. I think it's very interesting if you look at the leadership of the both sides, and there is one that is just strongly in favor. You have, as you just mentioned, you have Otto, Alicent, and Aegon on the one side, none of which, none of whom are like great, and uh, like not even like, not even in terms of morals, because Damon isn't great there either, um, but. I don't know, just none of them are like charismatic or, you know, the the type of person who can really motivate other people uh, from, you know, uh, except out of fear maybe. But with Damon, Rhaenyra and Corlys, for example, you have three pretty charismatic people <laughs> and that are just, they they do have some sort of presence, more or less. And I don't know, it's interesting to compare it that way. In what world are we supposed to root for the Greens? None of them are good. Like Aemond is a sociopath. Yeah. Aegon is a rapist. Otto is, as I've said previously, the devil. Alicent is an <laughs> idiot. Laris killed his brothers and, I mean, you know, foot fetish aside, that's his thing, whatever. But he is a murderous uh, asshole. And Kristen Cole is just an outright demon on the inside. Wow. It's like these, this show is obviously putting one side in the good and one side in the bad. I think that they are trying to, with the last couple episodes, trying to qualify that in my mind unsuccessfully with putting some doubt in the minds of people like Alicent or in the minds of people like Aegon or Aemond in this episode in particular. And well, I'll get to the end, my end rant about this, the end of this episode or the end of the season. But Looking forward to it already. Oh, God. It, it's, they're setting the Ra- Rhaenyra side as, I, my, in my mind, the hero and the Alicent side as the villain. And oh, yeah. that makes me very concerned for Rhaenyra and her camp mm. because we all know what happens in Game of Thrones to the heroes. So yeah. it's just... And obviously, I mean, she's in this episode alone, she lost two children and it makes me really, you know, it's really interesting to me when you consider, okay, this, does this start off a journey of her being called the Black Queen because of her garb and the sigil of House Targaryen or because of the grief that she is going to start this conflict out with? And, mm. you know, obviously, I don't have to explain that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I just wanted to quickly point out that Damon isn't great either, morally speaking. He killed his wife. He, uh, you know, he is a constant threat to Rhaenyra, uh, as we see in this episode, actually. Um, and it, like on multiple levels, directly and indirectly. And yeah, it's not like he is a great person either. Uh, just wanted to to shout that out there, um, but. Yeah, I don't know. I think we'll we'll talk a lot about this season at the very end of this episode, but maybe for now we can go into our favorite moments of this episode. 
All right. What's your first uh, favorite moment? Okay. Uh, my first favorite moment is somebody that I have over the course of last week's episode really come to like, and it's Eric. Eric I thought you were going to say Otto, and I was going to rage quit the podcast. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, Otto's scene was is not on my list. Spoiler alert! It was it was close close to getting on there, but uh, no, I really like the scene in which Eric appears and presents the Targaryen crown to to Rhaenyra and. You know that is Rhaenyra's the start of Rhaenyra's reign as queen, at you know at the funeral of her stillborn child, um, and it's it's funny how if you compare it to last week, where thousands of people were forced into a cramped building, uh, to to witness, you know Aeg- Aegon's coronation, and here it is almost something that happens just you know out of the blue because eric shows up and gives her the crown and that's how that happens there and you know obviously it is at a funeral so that there is some bereavement there as well um so yeah as you said you know the black queen she is uh, she starts her reign with a lot of sorrow and a lot of grief and yeah i i think it is it is a great uh yeah it's it's a great moment and no least of all because uh, again if you compare it to last week Aegon as has been you know in some historical predecessors in the real world you know you are being crowned by a religious figure uh, and here it is Damon who crowns her which I also think from from a power perspective is quite interesting so this scene, spoiler alert, was my number two scene on this mm. list today and actually my favorite scene from the entire episode. But yeah. I love the discrepancy between the two coronations. Aegon uh, and his realization of um, power and pomp or, and just like spectacle and Rhaenyra in grief and honor and there, I mean, Eric is just fucking badass. I gotta love him now. Um, and it just goes to show how, in my mind, they're being set up as the heroes of the story. And what, like, it makes me scared, obviously. But what I loved about this scene, most of all, is the parallel between this scene and when uh, Balon, uh, Rhaenyra's younger brother, and her mother... Emma were their funeral as well. And you can see the growth and a direction of Rhaenyra over this course of period of time. And when in that scene she's talking about, I wonder if Viserys was happy ever in that, in those few moments and yeah. that journey that she takes this, this is just the culmination of, I, in my mind, a bookend of a great, great, uh, you know, journey that uh, Rhaenyra as a character has gone on. So it is, uh, yeah, that's, I just, I found myself moved in this sequence and I just found it amazing. And just for me, the highlight of the entire, arguably this season, but for sure this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because also like 
we kind of knew I mean, not we. I, I knew that this is where it was coming to by the end of the season, um, especially once they started jumping in time. And you kind of realize, oh, I know where they want to get to by the end of the season. <laughs> and yeah. this moment was just like something I'd been waiting for for so long. So it's just great to see on screen. I, by the way, was in a bookstore recently and saw Fire and Blood there, and I was really tempted to buy it. But I didn't because I don't want to spoil myself for the show. <laughs> yeah, As per I mean, usual. <laughs> if you want to know everything that happens, uh, well, not everything. There's been quite a few surprises and differences, but mm. yeah, it's not for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, because I hate, I hate that thing of like, okay, I expect this now, and then if something else happened, I might be annoyed. So I think it's for the for the best for the enjoyment of me watching the show and maybe of the enjoyment of this podcast going into the future that uh, i not read this book yeah i would lay off it if i were you yeah my next scene that i want to talk about this is my number four scene is mm -hmm. uh the rainice and corliss discussion scene that's my number that two your <laughs> that's so your number perfect. two we'll save it for that then we'll save it no, so I mean, I just up. talked about I just talked about my number four, so let, we, okay, can, cool. we can just do it that way. Sure. So I, it's it, so I, I mean, it starts so it's such a heartbreaking discussion between the two of them, and Rainey's conflict uh, confronting him, telling him that he abandoned her, and this active grief. I mean, I just love their relationship so much, even mm -hmm, though obviously mm -hmm. he just fucked off for six years apparently so not a great relationship recently but the honesty and the conversation levels that they're able to have just is so much better than i think any pairing that we've seen on screen so far so it's incredible first of all and i love his acquiescence in the end to giving up his ambition because that's his biggest weakness up until this point and he realizes all of his mistakes a little late in life but He's gotten them. And it's Rhaenys at this point that realizes that you can't do this at this point. Your ambition has gotten us to the position where we have to go along and make us and choose a side. And it is Rhaenys's stamp of approval of Rhaenyra. And I think her reflecting on Rhaenyra that at least speaks to me of Rhaenyra's strength as a leader. And also, I mean, it's just... It's absolutely incredible that how she can persuade Corliss in any in any direction or in many directions. So, and I just love their relationship. I'd love to see it on screen again. It's been so long, and this scene, how it blended into the next one, about as where the next one is where your quote comes from. Hope is the fool's ally, and you know, find finding all the different pieces and Corliss declaring his allegiance for Rhaenyra, and it is. I just I just love these two sequences back to back because then you immediately see Rhaenyra's competence as a leader at the table, even though Matt Damon is or not not Matt Damon. Wow. Matt Smith. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is his that name is, is Damon. That's a yeah, that his is a great mixing of the two. I didn't even realize that that could be an, you know. <laughs> oh man. Well, <laughs> I guess maybe that is his name from now on, Matt Damon. Uh, Matt Damon. Uh, <laughs> no, I think it's just an incredible sequence. I love their relationship. Love having it back and how it uh, it foreshadowed, you know, Rainier's strength, especially because earlier in this in the episode, you see Damon starting to or trying to peel away strength from her, 
And as soon as Damon's not in the room, and he isn't in the room, he you can see later that he's singing lullabies to Vermithor. It is, yeah, it's, it's just an incredible uh, sequence. So uh, I don't know what you had to say about it. Sorry, I took so long. <laughs> so good. Yeah, I mean, you already mentioned a lot of things that I love about the scene, the relationship, probably the best relationship between two characters in this entire show so far. And I love the two of them as individuals and I love the two of them as a couple. And yeah, that confrontation was pretty pretty brutal. But also, yeah, I think just speaks to their relationship as well. And I think it is is somewhat the wisdom of older age, but probably especially the near-death experience of Corliss that makes him that that makes him kind of not acquiesce, but see the error of his ways, if you will. And then, you know, he uh, it's it's funny that in the moment where he wants to retreat, she says, "No, we have to declare for Rhaenyra." Uh, and yeah, I agree that it is great that, you know, how Renice just perceives that entire situation. There is probably some gender aspect in it, you know, to, you know, of, uh, uh, of how she reads a room and how she especially perceives the woman in the room, which is, which is interesting to me, but also, yeah, from a power perspective, just, you know, she is the only one who has, as she says, she's the only one who shows restraint. And it's true. Everybody's just like rah, rah, war. And she's like, okay, but peace is also an option. Uh, and, you know, uh, or rather keeping the peace is an option. And, you know, yeah, as as she really basically gives a lesson of leadership to the screen. And... I I just I lo- love her insights. I love the back and forth between the co- two characters, and uh, yeah, that's why I ranked it up so high. I think every time there is a Corliss and Renice scene, it is pretty high up my list. It has to be always. <laughs> uh, what's your number three? <laughs> I I was just thinking about swapping my number three and my number one because I thought, oh, is this really? how I want to rank this, but um, my number three is the, is the very end. is basically Luke and Amond. All right, save that. Um, save that. Yeah, I need, I need, that's I, what I, I thought. Mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> God. Um, oh, actually, I kind of want to know what your number one is. Damn it, because I don't want to. Actually, okay, I'm going to take a risk here. We'll, okay, so I have we'll two scenes that out. I want to talk about that's not on my number, you know, and I, I have to drop one, so. Yeah. I am going to drop one and I really hope it's your number one because if it's not, I'm going to be very sad. But you know what? This is the rules. This is the game we play, right? (laughs) So my number, what are we at now? Three? I think it's your number three, yeah. Yes. So my number three scene is the uh, Damon Auto scene point Mm -hmm. two. I already said that it, this is not on my list. So Yeah, so that's why I wanted to put it on because <laughs> I'm not sure about the next one. Because <laughs> yeah. I have two scenes. Ah, whatever. It's okay. Mm-hmm. We live this life. Um, <laughs> I First of all, I, I really liked you know, calling back to episode two, I believe it was, where it was the same scene, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And 
Rhaenyra kind of showing up as well with her dragon, landing in the same spot behind Otto, walking through his troops, the same like choreography. I found this really interesting. Obviously, a different time yeah. of day, which gave it a different flavor for sure. Um, the drawing of the swords by Damon, obviously rash headedness. I I just love again. Okay, a pair of people that hate each other that I love to watch is also Otto and Damon because they take every <laughs> yeah. single chance to just like take you know stabs at each other. I mean, when uh, Matt Smith says to Damon, or so to Otto. Uh, what he says, he, I God, I'm really struggling with names. I always struggle with names, but here we are. I was, I'm gonna stuff your withered cock into your mouth or something like that. I'm just something like, like that, yeah. what a what a line. You gotta love Damon uh-huh. sometimes. Um, and one thing that I loved that they pulled directly from Fire and Blood was when Otto Hightower is listing off as he calls the symbols of legitimacy. And he says yeah. to a- about Aegon, every symbol of legitimacy belongs to him. That is a quote directly from the book. But also to me, that doesn't mean he's not admitting that Aemon or Aegon is the legitimate king. He's saying every symbol yeah. of legitimacy. And that's a really interesting note from the words of the horse himself. I mean, that's I'm sorry to all horses for comparing them to Otto. But it is absolutely like I just love this sequence back and forth. And Otto, I mean, in some ways, he does speak some truth where he says to Rhaenyra, stale oaths will not put you on the Iron Throne. And for that, Mm -hmm. there are so many ways that I actually like the performance. I think the performance he's giving is great. The, The character is the problem that I have with. As is always the case. Exactly. And I, I truly believe Otto Hightower, in his sick little mind, believes that when he says to Rhaenyra, I only regret that you and your father were the last ones to see the truth of it, referring to everything changed when, when Viserys had a son. Yeah. I, he believes that. I'm sure he does. But that's not, that's not the question here. And um, Otto has fucked everything up already. So, God damn it. I also love... It's really interesting. You don't hear, maybe in my mind, you don't hear the F word a lot on this uh, show. Uh, no, on Serially Hooked you do, but not on uh, House of the Dragon. But immediately, one line after the other, Rhaenyra and Damon just like saying, what the fuck is this, basically? And I love how Damon says that uh, in response mm-hmm. to when Alicent's, you know, the picture of the book that Alicent uh, kept for some reason. Very interesting little. And we, I wish we had that teased a little bit so we can see there. You know, you kind of get the sense that over the years, Allison forgot everything and um, there is no real connection to their past. But so this kind of seems hollow in a way. But I think that yeah. if they had, you know, brought that along with us in so many ways, I think it was really good. So I don't know. I, I love the scene. I think it was a really risky move sending Otto Hightower um, to <laughs> Rhaenyra and Damon because the chances that they would get burned alive was really high. But yeah. I, it paid off in the end for them. So. Uh, I think either way, it's a win-win because if they do burn Otto Hightower, then it's war. But I think Rhaenyra is showing her strength even here. And she's just a freaking badass. I'm really liking Rhaenyra so much. I need to get myself like, I don't know, I love Rhaenyra shirt, something like that. Luca (laughs) can design that for us, right, Luca? Oh, good idea. Yeah, that, that scene, I was just, part of my mind was just very preoccupied with 
basically saying Cedra Cars, Cedra Cars, Cedra Cars. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> it doesn't happen. And I think, yeah, it is definitely a, sh- a sign of strength on Rhaenyra's part, who is clearly more uh, restrained, as Rhaenys has said, than Damon or me, apparently. Um, and I just wanted to quickly, quickly talk about a scene that is in neither of our top fours. Because I would just, because we've talked about Damon so much and how a uh, amb- how much a ambiguous character he is, um, Damon l- is not with Rhaenyra during her birth and planning his war instead, uh, even though you hear her crying out in the war room. And I would just love to hear your take on that, what you make of that and... What does that say about Damon? What does this say about their relationship? Uh, and yeah, I'd just be curious to hear your opinion on that. I actually am kind of conflicted on this. And I think that's actually a really by design by, from the showrunners because yeah. on the one hand, a couple episodes ago, we saw him in the room with Lena or at least standing in the doorway. And I'm wondering to a certain extent if it's, uh, you know, he can't stand to see this happen again to him in front of Rhaenyra. I mean, that's not excusing him not being in the room with her, but, you know, it could be from a place of love and uh, weakness in a way. And that's the the generous reading of it. And the other reading of it is that he's like, all right, she's out of the way. Now I can get shit done and set, mm-hmm. set things on the board or do my responsibility, if you want to say that like that. So I just I'm torn as to what read it is. Um, I think it's in the end with Damon, as with all things, it's a mix of the two, in which he cares for Rhaenyra, and you can see every time she screams and the ca- camera pans to him, pans to him, he does seem concerned, legitimately concerned, in the in his facial expressions, and I think it's just an incredible performance there. And on the other hand, he is focused at the task at hand, despite all the people. Um, telling him that he can wait and otherwise especially even Rhaenyra was like don't get don't do stuff without me so I'm wondering yeah it's really interesting to me I I think is I truly do think that Damon doesn't want to be king or want to kind of be at the head of everything I think he likes being Mm. the man behind the scenes but in this so in this case I don't think he was trying to get shit start the war immediately and you know uh, usurp the power from Rhaenyra because he does undermine her later on obviously and then I mean later on really (laughs) takes it to her in a negative way um so yeah that's my read on it I don't know if you had a specific decision in your mind based on how you thought what happened I mean yeah as you said it is it's always kind of conflicting I think it's just it's pretty maybe he already knew that and i'm sure Renina did as well that if if labor star or whatever you can call it starts this early this is not a good sign and so yeah he is reminded of lena and this is his way of keeping busy but especially when you hear the cries of Renira. Uh, ask like not even asking for him but like like begging for his presence more or less and she won't be helped by anyone else that is very hard wrenching and um i don't know it's it's just especially because of what happens later on when he chokes her which i think 
I hope that has negative consequences for him down the line because that shit's crazy uh, and should not go unpunished. Um, and I think Rhaenyra hopefully... I wonder, but I, hopefully she will not feel safe around him and that would have consequences for him because so far the show or whatever happens in the show kind of gave Damon a pass for everything. And I think, but, you know, and, and there is a great, there is a great performance by Matt Smith and everything, but I think sometimes that can somewhat overshadow what is actually happening and Damon is just an incredibly selfish and abusive person. There is a there is love in him, as we've seen with Lena, as we've seen with Rhaenyra, but he's just not a good person. And that's why I was just I just wanted to talk about it because you had been talking about oh clearly this is the good side. And I agree, and I I also agree that Damon is a part of it, but you know, he is not he is not a good person, which also, you know which is great about Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon and, you know, all of the shows that come might come from it in the future, I suppose, is that there, it is so ambiguous. But, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I saw it a little bit more negatively, probably, just because of what happens afterwards as well. So, yeah. So I think what happens afterwards is a separate thing. Um, I think that's yeah. more um consequence of leftover pent-up aggression about Viserys as much it is mm. as it is about Rhaenyra. Um, but, you know, that that I'll talk about later. But um, I want to clarify, when I mean that they're the good side, it's in spite of Damon. It's not because yeah. of Damon. Yeah, yeah. They're the good side because of Rhaenyra. And when you compare yeah. them to what the other side looks like. So <laughs> I think that yeah. it's by <laughs> default they are the good side and centered yeah, yeah. around Rhaenyra. And I think Rhaenyra is... Honestly, what's the worst thing she's done? She's had an affair. Hmm. Uh, no, not even an affair. Absolutely. It was like a consensual open relationship. Yes. That's it. <laughs> that's literally the only thing Absolutely. she did. She didn't do it. That's not yeah. wrong by by today's moral standards. By those moral standards of the day, maybe, you know, whatever. But what we're looking at it from our perspective, I don't think, from, from my perspective at least, I can't speak to everyone. I can't look at any other character on this show and be like, that's a leader that I want. Or that's a person that I think would be a good leader for Westeros. And I think the answer yeah. lies in Rhaenyra. For now, we don't know what's going to happen moving <laughs> forward. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, so, my, so you were curious about my number one scene. And yes. It is, maybe, maybe I, I uh, ordered them a little bit too quickly. But I really liked, you know, we've talked about it in Star Wars. I, lo I love a good planning scene around a table or around a hologram or whatever it is and in this case it is a table and we see the pinnacle of it when Corliss returns and declares the house of Valarion and Driftmark for Rhaenyra and says you know again my uh, one of my initial quotes hope is the fool's ally about you know oh there are three big houses that I hope will stay true to their vows uh, and all the, because it, it is so, this is kind of, this is a central scene for me as well in this episode, because 
it goes after all of the all of the strategy meetings we have had before that are also greatly staged with you know the lighting of the candles and the positioning of the pieces on the board you know and and then we have we have Corliss who just appears and nobody really knows which way he's going to swing and then not only is he is he declaring his uh, his house for Rhaenyra's cause but also you know just drops the bomb that he has uh n- now for the first time gotten control of the stepstones entirely which means control of the narrow sea which means control of the seas especially on on the east side and the the entire discussion about okay how we how we going to go forward and then the you know Rhaenyra's sons stepping up as messengers on dragons which we'll talk about in a few moments I'm sure I mean I know <laughs> because uh, this is your uh, probably your number one scene and yeah I I I just think this is this will just have a lot of reverberations in the future and it is it is the forging of the future here and I I love the whole aspect of political machinations I like the 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 characters you know Corliss and Rhaenyra and Rhaenys especially um so yeah that's why I chose it that high up yeah the scene is amazing um I really one thing that I noticed about the scene that I found interesting is that Rhaenys never bows to Rhaenyra the entire episode and that's a really interesting note here and I I wonder if that's going to change moving forward or if it's going to come of note but Wow, what a powerful message. Even when Corliss bows, she refuses to do so. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, yeah, I found it interesting. I did find it kind of funny how Corliss comes out and be like, the Stepstones all taken care of. I mean, yeah. at, like no one, like he couldn't have sent a raven beforehand. It's just kind of like, yeah. what? But um, no, it's such a great scene. And as you said, a planning sequence, great. Um, wishing to know who your allies are before you send them to war, also great. And, oh, you know, yes. in the end, when Jace and Luke stand up and say send us and i'm just like oh fuck you idiots yeah this is like not gonna end well bad. yeah especially because you have the send-off later <laughs> and that's like yeah. oh no you have the briefing basically it's like oh one of them's gonna die i know how this works <laughs> which one i guess we'll talk about now <laughs> yes <laughs> okay so this scene and storm's end um mm-hmm. um okay so I, I actually found visually this scene okay. I actually kind of like this scene visually. Um, yeah. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, I I love the the storminess of it. I liked the discrepancy between the size of um, Aegmund and his dragon and Luke and his dragon. I thought that yes. was kind of interesting how different like they are. And that's really like... It was actually very menacing. I think my favorite scene or shot from this entire sequence was when uh, Luke first coming. lands at Stormend oh, and you see yeah. Vagar peeking up through the background it kind of looks like Godzilla mm-hmm. in a way it looked really yes. menacing so cool i love the little notes and how they showed how Boris Baratheon was not was a uh, couldn't read i like that little like you yes. have to bring the maester to read for him so that was like a little funny thing i wish they, that was like okay but here's where i begin with some some um critique 
that sequence there is the perfect place for some levity. You have a guy Mm -hmm. who can't read, who needs to find the maester. Just like imbue some levity or fun, some humor into this episode. Like everything is so freaking grim. Why? I, I, okay, fine. I know Luke dies and Rhaenyra has a, not a miscarriage, but uh, has a stillborn baby. And I'm just like, okay, fine. I guess it's supposed to be a grieving episode, but you need some, like, it's it's just like episode after episode. There is no humor. There's almost no joy in watching this show. So it's kind of sad in that way. But that aside, my biggest gripe with this sequence is how all of a sudden, for the first time in the entire episode, people can't control their dragons. Like, what? Like, mm-hmm. what is happening right now? Like, especially, like, Aemond and Vagar. I'm just like, okay, guys. Like, if they had teased this earlier on, that's one thing. But they didn't, mm-hmm. like, it's all of a sudden out of nowhere they can't control their dragons. Their dragons become, like, whatever. After an incredible chase sequence, this whole thing just ch- is chalked up to an, as an accident. And I mm-hmm. really, really like, like, if they had just done it where Aemon goes and kills Luke, that's fine. That's great, actually, because that gives agency. And I think that's where this show, in my mind, is failing to create. Um, they're trying so much to create some area of gray on the greens by being like, oh, Alicent was actually following the last dying wish of Viserys and she actually believed Mm -hmm. it. Or Aemon did this by accident. He's not a bad guy. Or just like all these things. And I was like, oh, Aegon's like, nobody loved me. I'm just like, whatever. And it's just, these things are just really aggravating to me in terms Mm -hmm. of like, they are undermining the the characters choices and it's no longer up to the characters but this whole dance of the dragons isn't a disagreement instead it is a consequence of a bunch of random mishaps and that is much less um provocative for someone like me who likes characters to make their own goddamn choices so let them make choices also what did aemon want because at first you know (laughs) he demands the eye um and uh, but uh, and he goes on to chase Luke. So what does he expect coming out of there? Like how is he going to uh how is he going to I don't know hold him captive? How how ex- like there that's a huge risk because there's a lot that can go wrong here. So I find it difficult to believe that oh, this was an accident, this was not supposed to happen. Like, Eamon, what did you expect? Um, But yes, I agree. Um, I think, I mean, obviously this will have huge repercussions. We've seen it tease at the very end of the show here, but also we, I don't know, I think it's interesting that Eamon, how Eamon is going to deal with this going forward um, I mean, he is, he is clearly a sociopath. So, um, you know, I mean, demanding the eye and all that, that is, um, you know, you can't just say, oh, he didn't want this to happen. So everything's fine. It's like, no, he uh, demanded an eye and chased after him. But yeah, what I liked, especially about this entire sequence was A, Boris Baratheon saying, oh, a basically... Aemon came uh, from Aegon 
with and offering something and you're you're sent here by Rhaenyra to just demand and I'm not your lapdog and I'm just going to do the thing that is most advantageous to me uh, which I thought was you know very clearly stated uh, politicking which I just is maybe not the subtlest thing but still great and also definitely characterizes Boris but uh, yeah uh, why I picked it is basically for the uh, uh, you know what what is what the result of it is going to be or is already but also visually as you said uh the the shot when luke arrives and you see vega in the background and that is incredibly impressive and frightening but you also know then that amon's there and luke just still goes on which you know he's a he's a good boy he does as his mother tells him his queen tells him and you know he he even parrots the line of oh yeah i'm just a messenger blah blah and you know oh this is going to end uh, badly but another shot that i just wanted to point out that i really liked that was very star warsy in in my in my opinion was uh luke and Arix fleeing and it, and they when they are out of the storm and in the clear sky I think it was, or maybe it was in the storm, I'm not sure. And you just see Vagar above him and you just see how huge he is in comparison to Arex. And that was very much like uh, Imperial Star Destroyer suddenly over you for me. And just visually, that was also a great scene. Yeah, it, visually, the whole sequence is great. I really like this yeah. sequence. Um, and I think it's just that question at the very end that I... Um, was was kind of ticked me off to a certain extent, and it was clearly Amond wasn't thinking about the consequences of his actions, and yeah. he was clearly just bullying um, Luke and just wanted to frighten him a little bit. And things got too far, and that in the end, uh, the realm is going to suffer, and it's all because Amond is a fucking asshole. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're not the brothers aren't great. Yeah, but Luke and Jace are so great. I love Luke and Jace. They're amazing. They really are. But now, alas, now it's only one of them left. Um, though I do, I do still think that. I mean, obviously, he was attacked by this f- giant fucking dragon, and he's he fell f- out of the sky. But I'm always a little bit suspicious of like, but you don't see him dying, <laughs> you know. Well, I think because he was eaten whole by Vagar. <laughs> I didn't pay that close attention, to be honest with you, to see whether he was in the part that was that was consumed, or whether that he was part in part uh, in one of the parts that fell. Um, but still, I mean, he's pretty dead for sure. Stranger things have happened, though. All right. So, what are your overall thoughts of the season? I mean, you briefly went into it that, you know, the last two episodes and the and the last scene of the seventh episode kind of went into a direction that, you know, they, they have things about them that I am not happy with as well. Um, overall, I would say it is, it's... It's a very solid show. I I've really enjoyed watching it. It took me a while to get to get into it. I think 
in the very beginning because I don't know. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just because <laughs> there were children in it or something that were pretty prominent or uh, the setting was just much smaller. Um, I I have greatly enjoyed watching it. I've greatly enjoyed talking about it. And at times, this was a great show. I don't think... I mean, I'm curious going forward. I, uh, so far, I think it is going to be a very entertaining show that we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about in the future as well. But uh, for me, this first season is is a solid start. In my memory, I'm not sure. They said it's going to be four seasons, but... I don't remember. Okay. Um, and you know, if you... The comparisons just always <laughs> are, are always there. But, you know, the first season of Game of Thrones was great, uh, but not as great as what followed afterwards. So I hope this this show goes onto the same trajectory. And I'm very curious where things are going. But also, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not raving about it. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, uh, I am, I think, a little bit more negative on the show. I don't think at any point it was a great show. I think it was good mm -hmm. at its height and bad at its lows um, yeah. on average. I actually liked the beginning of the series. Uh, I wish we had more time in that realm or in that time period than we did in the end. Um, I kind of wish that either the first half of the season was the whole season or completely cut out and we just started when they were mm. adults and didn't have to deal with anything. I don't think there's actually much maybe added value we'll see later on, but as it stands right now, I don't think the added value was worth cutting 60% of the first season. So yeah. I, in the end, I, I think it's a fine season of television. Um, I think mm -hmm. that it is not nearly as bad as the last couple seasons of Game of Thrones, but... <laughs> oh, no. I think it is, if I were ranking this with the other seasons of Game of Thrones, I think it would be at the bottom of the other six seasons of Game of Thrones to me. I don't think this is a particularly strong, I oh, think, absolutely. season. So I, absolutely. I, in that case, I am quite uh, pessimistic about the, the, the show itself. But mm -hmm. I'm also excited to see what's going to happen. And I think that they will respond uh, based on certain criticism that they've gotten for the first season, as well as I think... It'll be interesting to see how they maneuver the show as a part of, you know, I'm sorry, when they don't have to do any more time jumps and I want to see more time with these people. Yeah. And I hope it's not just like, because one, one of my complaints about late Game of Thrones was it's just like big set piece and then like, it's just like big set piece and then everything else setting up the next big set piece and then everything else mm -hmm. setting up the next big set piece. It, there wasn't life in the show. And this show to yeah. me, this first season, didn't feel like it had much life. So I want to see more of that moving forward. So I guess we'll find out. I'm excited. Yeah, I am still excited to see the next season. So I will watch it for <laughs> sure. And we'll be here to talk about it, hopefully. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, there are definitely two. There, those are like some, you know, not taking the time to develop certain things. I think we've lamented that a few times. Um, which that is a shame because that is something that I think Game of Thrones excelled at uh, throughout and the show just doesn't do it. Also, it doesn't have any humor in it, any levity. Everything's just grim, dark. 
and gritty and that's great but we do need something else as well and yeah i think i think yeah comparing it to the the good like the not trash seasons of game of thrones i think it just falls off as you said and yeah i think some great moments in there overall yeah it was it was nice to watch i think i just came from it i haven't watched that much tv uh recently so or like tv shows uh so i've basically only watched or mostly watched things for this podcast and (laughs) i can only compare it to the star wars shows basically where it is still the second best show (laughs) so uh you know but there is also a huge gulf in between this show and andor in my opinion Uh, that's not even close i know it's not it's not not even on the same page i know Uh, if anyone's listening to this and hasn't seen andor stop what you're doing now pause the podcast now and just go watch andor just like you will not you will not forgive yourself if you don't see this show it is so good and it's not getting the attention that it deserves Mm -hmm. and yeah again yeah also as you said i'm definitely going to watch the next season uh, I'm definitely willing to talk about it as well on this show. Uh, I'd love that. Um, but yeah, I hope they can adjust some things going forward. And I hope they also get the time to do that. I guess we'll find out. I guess we will. Tune in next time to, I guess, Serially Hooked House of the Dragon <laughs> is what what this is. Um, it's It's been a lot of fun talking about this season with with you rashad and with you the listener um though you have been a very silent participant in this discussion i suppose and yeah if you have a, if if you want to be more vocal reach out again serialhook.com you can find our contact info there and it's been a blast we have a lot of things on serialhook already we have a lot of things coming forward and we'd love for you to join us there so thank you so much for listening. I hope you, you get uh, to listen to some more Silly in the future. And if you've enjoyed the show, give us you know a, a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. For Rashad, I'm Chris, and talk to you next time.